looking to start a podcast but don't know where to begin? Look no further. The team at Dodge Media Productions has 20 years of experience as podcast listeners and observing the industry and eight years experience in podcast production. We can help you take your podcast from idea to fruition and we'll make the process seamless and easy. We'll help you with everything from recording and editing to hitting the charts on Apple Podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Contact us today and let's get started. DodgeMediaProductions.com. You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 147. We're nearing in on another milestone of 150 episodes, which we will hit by the end of this year. Today, we are talking about Friends with Benefits from 2001. You can watch it on Netflix if you subscribe to that service until the end of the year. So um, hopefully this inspires you to go check it out. Our chat director, Will Gluck, also did another movie that we have talked about, Easy A, as well as Annie. And it's interesting after watching and doing some of my homework that he did Peter Rabbit because he says the type of films that he likes watching and directing are films that take place in real life. Does he have different rabbits than I know about? <laughs> I know. I, all of a sudden I'm looking at my notes, getting ready to read this and I'm okay. like, wait a second. Yeah. And Annie, that's not real life at all. It started out as a comic book. Right. Yeah. I, I, that surprised me. So this one, if you remember, there were two movies out at the same time. This one stars Justin Timberlake, Mila Kunis, Patricia Clarkson, Jenna Elfman, Brian Greenberg, Richard Jenkins, Woody Harrelson, and Andy Samberg and Emma Stone make a little bit of a cameo at the very beginning. They're not in much of it. And then there are a couple other famous cameos, athletes and and the like in this film. I'm actually going up on that. I don't remember any other famous cameos that you haven't mentioned. Sean White. Oh, yeah. Question, was he playing himself or a version of himself? I think he was playing a version of himself. I think... I'd hope so. He seems like a pretty... Well, I guess, do you believe that he is a jerk who masks it well most of the time? Or do you believe those scenes where he was acting like a jerk, it was truly acting? I think it was acting. I think that was uh, opposite of type. I agree. That's my belief. I agree. Uh, The DP was Michael Grady, who also did EZA, a movie called Faster in 2010, and a movie called... Gone in 2012. Is that different than Gone in 60 Seconds? Right. hey it, it was filmed in LA and parts of New York City. The writer is Keith Merriman, David A. Newman, and Will Gluck. Will said that once he got, once they signed uh, Timberlake and Kunis, they basically crafted the script with them. He would write 20 pages, they would come in. He said they were very opinionated about their characters and very protective of their characters. And so he would get their feedback. He said the feedback wasn't specific to like change this letter or change this word. It was more general. I don't believe my character would do this or my character would say it that way. Then they would go away and he would write 20 more pages and they would come back. And that's how the film. So I don't know the role of Keith Merriman and David A. Newman. I, I would say 
I don't think any writer likes the actors doing that. I he, mean, when you have big stars, I think you do it because you have to. He made it sound like he wanted it. He wanted it to be in their voice. Hmm. And so he said by the end, he very much felt like it was in Justin and Mila's voice. Okay. I'm just telling you what I've yeah, witnessed. I, 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 I'm just saying, as a writer-director, if the actor's like, oh, I insist on participating in the screenwriting process, I don't know how well that's going to go over. Mm-hmm. But some, some might like it. If, uh, if JT or Mila would like to be in one of my films, I guess I, I would <laughs> learn to love well, it. Well, I don't know if you should do that, because you seem opposed to actors putting in that much input. So would you be open to it? I think I would try in that case. <laughs> right? Will Gluck's like, yeah, buddy, that's exactly what I did. Like, I don't really think this is a great idea, but okay. <laughs> so the synopsis for this film is a young man and a woman decide to take their friendship to the next level without becoming a couple, but soon discover that adding sex only leads to complications. Didn't Harry and Sally already try <laughs> yes. to figure out Billy this- Crystal had a famous line, men and women can never be friends. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I, I made I made uh, Billy sound like a 1920s radio announcer there. Sorry, Mr. Crystal. I have two taglines for you. Friendship is a four-letter word. Ooh, I like. And some friends come with a happy ending. Oh, also very good. I know, good. they're pretty good. Very good. Huh, huh? Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't as admitted when they were doing press for the film, but we now know that Mila Kunis did use a butt double for her butt character. Double. Uh, for a full nude scene, despite the fact that she appears semi-nude and boasted f- about giving side boob for people. So you didn't right. get her butt, but she was very proud of her side boob. Fun fact that I don't know is listed in my IMDb trivia, but I have never used a butt double. Never? Not once. What about that voice work you did? <laughs> no, there was a rumor, but that was my butt in that voice work. <laughs> Let's see. She said that she has no issue with being nude on set, but wasn't going to act. Wait. She said she had no issue being nude on set, but wasn't going to actually show anything on screen. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. You you don't want it in perpetuity in, in the film, but you don't mind if that's what's required for the role. And very interesting because I mentioned the other film at the same time. It was being directed by Ivan Reitman. It was called No Strings Attached with the... Not at that time, right. but eventually Mila's husband, Ashton Kutcher, and... Is it Natalie Portman? Yes, Natalie Portman. And Catherine Reitman, daughter of Ivan Reitman, appeared in this film. Oh, wow. So there's all kinds of... Yeah, interleaving. I need to go rewatch No Strings Detached as well. Although I do think I recall this one was my favorite of the two when they came out. I think so. And I wonder... I hate to say it because I do enjoy Natalie Portman's work and other stuff, but I think I had trouble believing, has she been in another rom-com? Like, I had trouble... Uh, okay, this is going to be maybe a little critical, and I apologize, Ms. Portman, if this comes across wrong, but I don't think she can carry a rom-com. I don't think she has the it factor. Very few people do. I don't say that as criticism, but you're Meg Ryan's, you're Sandra Bullock's, you're Mila Kunis. There's very few people... That can shoulder the burden of a rom-com. I, I think you're right. Will Gluck spoke of this. He said it's very hard to do like kind of the quiet charm. Yep. He said if you have a non-actor, because he says he's famous apparently for putting 
uh, friends and his father in different films. <laughs> and he goes, what you do with a non-actor is you give them a part where they have to go argue or scream oh, or okay. yell. Big, big emotion. Because you yeah. say, hey, go yell at that guy. Mm-hmm. And they know what that is and they can mm-hmm. do it. But to say, hey, go be charming to that girl. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has that ability. Right. I think Natalie Portman was well cast in Black Swan. I think that is a thing she she had the right vibe for. It's just, but again, this is all off based off of years ago memory of the film. But I think Mila Kunis is in that category, in my opinion, with with Meg and Sandy. Of this is she's got that indefinable girl next door quiet charm is a good word that just you you instantly root for her, right? Right, right. Yeah, put put uh, Natalie Portman in any serious drama. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think and she does well. Yeah, yeah. She, you're going to score. Fine actor, not, not saying anything about that. So Will is very frustrated about the two films being... Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, because they almost, they were both in the same year. I didn't look up what months, but I do remember... Right. it was like right on top of each yeah. other, and they were so connected and almost the same plot. Yeah, he said he really wished there was more space between them. The thing that irked him the most is people said that they were remaking No Strings, so I guess that tells us that... It did come out first. The two movies were being made at the same time. Paramount Pictures first announced in March of 2010 as an untitled project. Actors Kutcher and Portman were cast in the lead roles. And then Paramount anticipated the release date to be January of 2011. How about you give us your pickup line and then maybe roll into what like the cinematography of the film. Okay, so the pickup line is, okay, let's see where we are, which is delivered by Dylan, Justin Timberlake's character. Uh-huh. And I think it works pretty well. Let's see where we are, right? Uh, that, Very that's good. That's kind of a question for the film. Yeah. Um, I put this under cinematography, although the cinematographer maybe would argue had nothing to do with it, but the Screen Gems logo goes from non-diegetic to diegetic. I don't think I've ever seen that before. So it's on screen, like the, the logo to a film, yes. and then it pulls back and it's part of a, a, a big screen display that JT's talking about. Yeah, I feel like, well, because maybe we didn't have the technology. That's No, that's it was very clever and it was very yeah. well done. And, yeah. and it was funny because he's, he's obviously working on kind of like one of those smart boards or something. That it's supposed can, to be, yeah, yeah. And But I noticed he's flipping the things to the right and on like the fourth or fifth one, it's a little bit out of sync. So yeah. I was like, Oh, somebody else is moving that to the right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, right after that, it opens into a really uh, clever set of shots where uh, both Jamie and Dylan are on the phone and the way it's edited, we think because they're the two leads on the movie poster that he's late for a date with her, but it yes. turns out he's late for a date with guest star Emma Stone and she's waiting for guest star Andy Samberg. But the way it was done was so clever that even the second time around, knowing that it was used, it still got me. Oh, right? I didn't remember it. So it got me again. Yeah. I thought it was so, so, so clever because we've seen the movie poster. We've seen the trailers. We know these two are going to get together it could potentially be like we're starting at the ending or we're starting at the two thirds point and then we will jump back in time. But instead you're completely shocked because when she turns around and we expect her to see JT, right. she sees Andy Samberg and it was right. just like, Oh, they ah. totally got us. Yeah. Um, and, and 
actually with her scene there, you begin to see what presumably is Mila's natural banter, right? So that that's played comedically. Relatively early in the film, there's a, a scene where she stands on the conveyor belt of uh, the luggage rack and uh, his character mentions another movie. Uh, I don't know if it was like Notting Hill or Love Actually or something like that. And I actually don't remember, I've seen the movie they referenced, but I don't remember anybody else walking on the baggage kind of conveyor. And my first thought was, how did they actually track that? Because there's a shot where she's walking as it's moving. Mm-hmm. And, and so the extras did a fantastic job, I think, of getting out of the way of the Steadicam guy. Mm-hmm. Because it, the camera looks to be in the middle of the crowd, but it is panning with her. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Then when he goes to interview... At Rockefeller Plaza, I thought it was really clever, and this one is a cinematographer. The camera is deep inside the lobby, and so the um, the spinning doors frame her as we see her outside. She spits out the coffee, and then they do like the uh, the time lapse dissolve to show that time has passed. So that I thought was pretty darn clever. Mm-hmm. And then this is awesome. There's a Scorsese shot, but not in this film. In the fake rom-com inside this film, which is, um, I would actually love to see that film with Rashida Jones and Jason Segel. Mm -hmm. And my last uh, cinematography note was, there's this general rule, right, that it only ever rains at night in Hollywood. Actually, here's an exception. It rained during the day, but they did that because there was a window in the apartment so that you could see the rain hitting the window. I did see that. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Nice. Very well done. How about some writing? Did you, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. Right. From a purely structural standpoint, and I I credit Will Gluck and the other writers for this, the two breakups give an excellent opportunity for exposition about those two characters. So the person they're breaking up with describes them and, and they defend themselves. So it's great exposition. It quickly gets us into the action, sets up the stakes, mm-hmm. right? Okay, mm-hmm. they, they've now been broken up with. And then it tells us a lot about them and what their problems are. So I thought that was pretty good. He's not present, but John Mayer gets name dropped and heckled quite a bit. So hopefully he knows Will and they're good friends. But there's some funny lines in here. And this is where maybe JT and Mila are, are naturally funny. She's trying to sell him on, on moving to New York City. And he says, it's New York. I've seen Seinfeld, which I think is great. Maybe Jerry would be happy about that. But then he says later, when he's first introduced to his team, what I lack in experience, I make up for in cliches. Really funny line. And I'd love to know who wrote that line. If that's Justin, I'm not, that's incredible. Well, it's interesting because as you said that, I was getting ready to point out that one of the things that Will did is he's talking about all the cliches in rom-coms. Yes. And he calls, he wants... He believes that in movies you should call things out. I love it. Like the this one interviewer was asking him, would he ever do like an action hero movie? And he was referencing, I think uh, Captain America came out about the same time because okay. they kept talking about it. And he says, the only way I would ever do a movie like that is if somebody said, oh my God, did you just see a guy with a cape jump out the window? <laughs> like he says he would have to call it out. Right. I'm thinking of The Incredibles, no capes ever. Right. Right. It, it hangs a lampshade on some of the, the dopey tropes that, that we all take for granted. Right. 
And so he wanted to kind of call all of them out and then say, I know that we're doing these. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because he said that there's one, because he was, of course, as I feel bad for all directors, he was reading the reviews as the movie was getting ready to come out. Yeah, yeah. And one of the critics pointed out a cliche that he forgot to put in there. He wouldn't say what it is, but he says if people email him, he will tell them what it is. And I don't have his email address, but I'm happy to email him. <laughs> he might be on LinkedIn. Okay. I'll have to check. <laughs> and so he said that he, he thought about it and he figured out how they could fix it. And he went into the team and said, <laughs> tells them a story and mm-hmm. says, Hey, I got, I got have an idea. And they were all just like, dude, let it go. Leave it alone. <laughs> it's picture <Right>. lock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, having just recently hit picture lock, I'm like, yeah, don't touch it. Yeah. It's done. This is interesting. In an opening scene, we established that Jamie's favorite movie is Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people. That's true. Love. Um, which is a, kind of the same basic premise of sex with no romance, right? There was cash involved, but still it's the same thing. Good. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. And there's uh, famously in Pretty Woman, the no kissing rule. So I, I, I saw that. And then the character of Dylan sings the cheesy rom-com music throughout the film. And in fact, he has a little bit of a monologue talking about the music and romantic comedies. So that, that I think was again, kind of hanging a lampshade on, uh, on the music, which again also calls back to a film that we have reviewed where Jack Black plays a composer for music scores, the holiday. And he, at some point I think sings one of those little ditties. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was kind of nice. There's an interesting topical reference that I don't know if it is going to be evergreen. The character of Annie, played by Jenna Elfman, refers to her brother Dylan as Dilbert. And certainly to me, Dilbert, is that's a thing. But when I'm just thinking, I don't know if if the next generation uh, would would catch that as a reference to anything or they just think it's a funny name. Yeah, I don't think she was trying to reference the cartoon because he in no way resembles that character. Mm. I mean, even in appearance and, or I think it was just because his name was Dylan and a sister often will, you know, like Dillweed or, you know, I think it was just Dilbert. Uh, My my guess is they originally wrote Dillweed and someone said, Oh, Hey, 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 you gotta go easy on the insults or something. I don't know. What's Um, wrong with Dillweed? What did I just do? I I don't know. I'm just thinking. scared me. I thought, oh my God, I don't know what a dillweed is. And I just stuck my foot it's in it. It's something that, that we said as kids. So I'm always worried that that's been canceled now. <laughs> and then uh, lastly on the writing, uh, the character of Parker is such a Bellamy, right? Because on paper, he seems perfect, but he's actually not. It's a little bit of a twist because he's the one who breaks up with her. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I thought he was he was kind of a classic Bellamy there. Yes, yes. I thought there were a lot of themes in this film, like sex, love, family issues with the sister and her and their father who was battling Alzheimer's. And then all, of course, as we mentioned, all of the romantic comedy cliches. You know, when I first saw this film, I was a little bit impressed that Justin Timberlake and who plays the father, Richard Uh, Jenkins, Richard Jenkins, were willing to drop trow in the middle of an airport. But now that I've met more actors, doesn't take anything. <laughs> yeah. That was actually Grand Central. Oh, it's Grand Central? Yeah, Grand yeah. Central But station. still doesn't take anything. Yeah. It was supposed to be the airport, but I was like, but you can see that it's Grand Central. It's one of those, they have these 
kind of like you walk up these stairs and there's balconies and one of them now, or at least last time I went was an Apple store, which is really kind (laughs) of odd, but they say that they're at the airport, but I, I should try to pull up a picture because I swear it's Grand Central. I feel like you can see that there's a specific type of blue that is on the ceiling. It's not quite um, Tiffany blue, but it's a little like a shade darker. And I could have swore I saw that in the background. Plus there's that central ticket booth mm-hmm. that you always mm-hmm. see in every grand yeah. central Makes shot. sense. I thought there was some dialogue that said airport is why no, I thought you're that. Right. But, they did yeah. say airport, but I was like, why are they saying airport? Right. Because now it's, it's possible that you could take the subway from the airport to grand central and that, and they just, then they ate there. I don't know. I, I, I will look it up and put it okay. in the show notes. Right. I so will. speaking of sets and romantic comedies, in Jamie's uh, bedroom, right above uh, her bed, where the no-strings-attached benefits occur, is a movie poster for It Happened One Night, which is considered the first rom-com. I, I did have a, a, a question on kind of props. I don't know if you ran across this, but I was curious if all of those childhood photos of Dylan were, in fact, Justin Timberlake. The one of him as crisscross absolutely was. But the others I didn't know. But speaking of sets, they obviously shot some of the scene at the Hollywood sign, actually at the Hollywood sign. But I do believe that the close-ups weren't just because where the camera would have to be. I don't think they had drones that good back then. So I do think they built the O on a soundstage to do some of those shots. Nonetheless, that was an interesting uh, thing. You know, Hollywood sign has is, is been in more than one movie, but that was an interesting twist where he has to get rescued kind of a funny gag yep i i took note speaking of sets that their apartments were probably a la friends a little bit larger and more spacious <laughs> than either could afford. hers was ginormous yeah. i think her bedroom was bigger than most apartments yeah yeah an apartment like that it would have been well over her um head hunting oh, salary yeah, absolutely and in fact, hers looked like it could even be bigger than his, and he was supposed to be the big hotshot at GQ magazine. Right. One thing to note about how Will kind of reuses maybe, let's say, people and actors is Patricia Clarkson played mm. Emma Stone's mom in Easy A. Oh, so right. they had worked together previously. Under costumes, I have that uh, Justin Timberlake's character had a lightning bolt tattoo, Mm-hmm. And her character wears a lightning bolt necklace throughout the movie, except for in the photo shoot scene where they're angry with each other, apparently. Let's see. Oh, the for props, the book that Jamie is reading when Dylan comes into her bedroom is Jap- Japan's Modern Myths, which is written by Carol Gluck, the mother and co- Oh, nice. The mother of the co-writer and director. Yeah, so that reminds me that uh, Dave Kellett famously planted one of his books in How I Met Your Mother because his wife is friends with Kobe Smulders. So I I guess now would be a time for me to mention that anybody who's an author, um, feel free to send me advanced reader copies and I'll see what I can do by getting them in the film. (laughs) So I love it. I loved all the iconic locations, like you mentioned the Hollywood sign, uh, Grand Central Station, a cab, uh, Times Square. <laughs> I thought it was odd the taking a boat to downtown, yeah. but I think if we watch that scene, I mean, this is only my two times I've been to New York as a tourist, but it seemed like if we, I, I want a New Yorker to write in and tell me if 
Because remember, Woody Harrelson has the boat. Yeah, yeah. And we find that out at the beginning. And then he kind of saves the day because he helps them. Right. I felt, oh, I know what it is. If they truly were in Grand Central, they were already downtown. They were already in Manhattan. But it was like the boat then picked them up and took them to Manhattan. And it was like you were already in Manhattan. So I need... Right. It it was... And at one point, Woody Harrelson's character says something about New Jersey yes. and being ignorant of that geography. Uh, it was surprising to me, but I don't know. It could have been totally realistic right. that you would take a boat, especially when they talked about like a, a duration of how long it would take. And you could kind of see across the water, you could see more buildings. So, right. Yeah. I don't know. We, we, need, we need a New Yorker to weigh in on this mm-hmm, for we us. Do. We so. absolutely do. Um, speaking of Woody Harrelson... Will talked about his character and the interviewer asked him about, there was a little bit of, I guess, when the film came out, maybe, not contro- controversy. We say it silly. So yeah, we say it. In, in, yeah. Controversy, controversy is the American pronunciation. <laughs> that, you know, Woody's character playing gay. And Will basically kind of said, well, I made him like a frat guy and just like a bro but then made him gay instead mm-hmm. of him being like lecherous towards women. He was lecherous towards men, but Correct. they didn't, you know, make him effeminate or do lean into any of the stereotypes. He was just a frat guy who happened to be gay and they didn't really talk about it a ton, but he brought it up a couple of times. And it was just like, which I, 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 I want to know. I found it refreshing because the um, characters, I'm trying to think if they're, was a gay bestie in Easy A, but of course, Mean Girls, right? The characters, the gay characters tend to be very effeminate, very flamboyant, very over the top. And so, often the, like the comic. Yes. And I thought that was a refreshing take. I have been saying this for years that most couples have a masculine and a feminine, including same gendered couples, which says to me that half of the gay men out there are not Liberace and swishy and and sparkly. They're just regular dudes who happen to like other dudes. So I thought while this, this character was obviously dialed up to 11 in his kind of bro-ness, I I thought it was fun. Yeah. I liked it. And then he made a point to say that both of their best friends, he doesn't like how the best friends are, kind of they're almost like a sidekick and they don't have their own story or they don't have their own personality. And so he said, Woody Harrelson had his own life. He wasn't there just to benefit Justin Timberlake's character, Dylan. He was there. He had his own needs, his own desires and, and kind of gave advice when I think Justin asked for it. And then he said like, but then Patricia Clarkson's character, who was kind of the sidekick for her daughter. Right. She even at one point, she even says like, well, I can't give you advice because she and she has her own life. Like Mm -hmm. she even goes off and kind of explores problems. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he had a scene in it and it sounds like a really funny scene. I, I, I will look for this to put it in the show notes if I can find it. They ran. There was like an eight year old girl who was in the park playing chess. And so she was so good at it that she would fleece people for money. And so. Trying to figure out what to do, Mila's character would go to the park and play chess with this girl. And the girl was just focused on the chess. And she would be like, what's wrong with you? You don't look very many moves ahead. You just react. And 
Mila would sit there and she'd be like, um, oh yeah, I do that in life too. Like, and, mm. and he had the eight year old girl cause Mila would then ask this girl for advice and she would say, look, I'm only an eight year old girl. I'm just playing chess in the park. Right. Like shut up and move. Like, and I want to see the scene of like this angry, I think he even said like it was a little Asian girl, I, the, nice. just this angry little girl in the park. Who's just like, just shut up and play the game. <laughs> yeah. It just sounds like a really funny scene. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Sometimes you got to kill your babies. The song that Dylan makes fun of when he's talking about the different rom-coms and he refers to an ambiguously upbeat pop song that has nothing to do with the plot at the end of the movie that him and Jamie watch together is called Hey Soul Sister by the band Train. And they play that same song at the end of this film. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Uh, Paul and Storm have a song that's something like this song could be in a commercial that's designed to be that bland, poppy, upbeat, completely forgettable, which I actually, I could see people maybe being upset with its artistic merit, but I think the it's probably hard to to write something that people like listening to and then subsequently forget. It's like I heard that they said real spies don't look like Jason Bourne or whomever because then they would remember, wow, that handsome guy came in and wanted to know where the, the bathroom was. They're the most forgettable people you can find. And so I thought it's kind of an insult to the artists who make those songs, but there is a certain part of it where I bet the filmmaker says, I want the song to send people out of the theater on a high, mm-hmm. but I don't want them to talk about the song. I want them to talk about the movie. Right. right. So you're trying to balance, I guess, that you want something that's that's really fun, but maybe doesn't stick in their head more than your film. Right. <laughs> Was there any head trauma in this film? I did not make note of any head I trauma. I don't remember any. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A smoochie. Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. Oh, yeah. I think, I think, um... <laughs> My note is Jamie kisses Dylan the first time they do the Humpty Hump, mm-hmm. uh, which violates the no kissing rule. Uh, that's then, that's ja- uh, Vivian's rule, not yeah. Jamie's rule. Well, if Pretty Woman's her favorite movie, she'd be aware. Um, Jamie kisses Dylan in his dad's house. Dylan kisses Jamie in Grand Central Station and then in the cafe. So there's a lot of smoochies there. Yes. And I know we're in New York City, but and we discussed a boat, but any driving? Well, actually, uh, there are just two notes. One, in the opening scenes, we see that Dylan is driving an 83 Alfa Romeo Spider convertible. And this tells us that he's cool because he's into vintage things. (laughs) And then when he goes to visit his sister, he's driving a 2010 Audi SS Cabriolet, which says that he's willing to spend money to look cool. Mm. So it tells us about his character. Although, oh, no. I was going to say that could have been a rental, but if he It was a rental. Oh, okay. But even then, it's going to be... I mean, everybody else would get the Corsica and, and for nineteen ninety five a day or whatever. Like, you're going to go park it in front of your sister's house for three days. Why would you get a, a Zoomy shiny car? Maybe I'm cheap. <laughs> your cheap is showing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. So before I do that, I just want to add one more thing about No Strings Attached, which had the same premise, as we said. It grossed the same amount of money just about worldwide, both earning about $149 million. This film only grossed about $300,000 more than No Strings Attached. I think the exact same people went to see each film. I think you're right. They were comparing it. Yeah. So it's like, we got to go see this one and then we're going to go and see this one. One of those people was me. Yeah. <laughs> 
This film had a budget of $35 million. And like I said, it made domestically almost $56 million, worldwide $146. And so adjusted for today, that would be the domestic take would be like $74 million. And on IMDb, it gets a 6.5 out of 10. Critics were... F- That's unfair. Almost Midland. They were um, at 60. They give it 69% and audiences give it 65%. Oh, totally not fair at all. This well, is a fantastic rom-com. So would you give it like a 7 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10? Oh, I think this is an 8 easy 8 out of yeah, 10. I liked it. It's the perfect length. Did you hear how I did that? What did you say? Easy A. Oh, I out missed of it. 10. I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. Proud yeah, of myself. Giving you my props You're now. welcome, Mr. Gluck. <laughs> it's just under two hours at one hour, 49 minutes. It's rated R. It is a rom-com, like we said. It is a Screen Gems, which is, um, or no, a Screen Gems and Castle Rock Entertainment and Sucker Productions. It was nominated for a People's Choice Award, and Justin and Mila were nominated for the Teen Choice Awards. So that is our third film for this month. Stay tuned. Next week, we will be talking about Two Night Stand, a small little indie film that we will discuss that will be the fourth of our five uh, films for this month. Please turn in your guess of what the theme is. And we are rounding to the end of our contest that we've been running this whole year. I don't have currently when we are recording this, which is December 7th, I have only one guess for what the theme of this month is. So it's wide open. You can submit that guest to the email that is in the show notes. And everyone who sent me a correct guess will have an entry into our contest at the end of the year for the $100 Amazon gift card. So it's not too late to get those in and never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 